Uh, and let's bow our heads together and, uh, and let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you so much for this holy Sabbath day. We thank you um, from the bottom of our hearts for Jesus. We thank you for the wonderful blessings uh, and ministering of the angels that you send to help us in our walk. Uh, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who comes into our hearts and our minds and, and reminds us and, and, and pricks our hearts and, and gives us the strength and the power to be overcomers and to change our habits. Uh, we thank you for providing for our needs, uh, our shelter and, and our food and clothing and friends and family and, and especially the, the church. And we're so very thankful that Jesus came and died and shed His blood that we may uh, may be forgiven and can become a part of the family again. And so we pray that You'll forgive us our sins. We thank You so much uh, for, uh, for such great love extended to us. And Father, I pray for the Holy Spirit to give me the words to speak today. It's very um, important very important message uh, preparation that we need uh, before uh, before Armageddon and so please give me the words to speak I pray the Holy Spirit will soften hearts prepare prepare them to hear these things and uh, Lord we thank you for being near each one of us and, and your people and for keeping your promises I humbly ask this in the blessed name of Jesus who is so worthy to be praised Amen. Well, friends, I've entitled this particular message uh, in this study, Sunday Law Preparation. Sunday Law Preparation. The last time we were together, uh, it's been a month or so, uh, we wrapped up an evangelistic effort in Attica, and it is very promising that we'll have a small group organizing there upon our return to Indiana. And so I'd ask that you please keep that in your prayers. Um, but in our outreach project, we covered the hard-hitting present truth of the three angels' messages. And, and I believe that there were eyes that, a, that have been opened to the time that we're living in. And, and I believe that we learned that we're not just living in the last days but we are living in the last of the last days, uh, friends. And I'm pretty sure many of you believe the same thing. And if, if not, then you're just not paying attention uh, to how Bible prophecy is being fulfilled today. Either that or you just, you're not aware of Bible prophecy. Um, as I begin this particular study, I want to go to Revelation chapter 13. And this is kind of the theme of this particular study. Revelation... 13, and we can begin with verse 15, but it says that the United States had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause, and that means to, to, to come up with laws and enforce laws, and in this case a particular law that is our subject but that this beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in the right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Now, for about 170 years ever since the Seventh-day Sabbath was rediscovered you know, by those that uh, pioneered the Great Advent Movement, the message has been that one day, Sunday sacredness would be forced upon the whole world by the beast and his image. That is, yeah, we've discovered in our studies, that's the papacy, uh, apostate Protestantism, um, in conjunction with the United States. And, and we also have... Uh, been giving this message that civil penalties, and finally a death decree, as we read there in Revelation 13, would be pronounced against those that choose to follow God rather than men. And I believe we're getting very, very close to that day, my friends. Uh, 
um, you realize that for the very first time in the history of the United States of America, on September 24th of 2015, just this this last fall, a pope, and not just any pope, friends, but the first Jesuit pope, addressed the United States Congress. And do you, do you really know why that happened? Do you know why that happened? Do you understand the end game, friends, of the great whore Babylon? Well, this was to help set up the push for what we just read in Revelation 13, the mark of the beast, to set up Sunday. Uh, and it'll begin, I believe, as a family day, to set up Sunday as a family day and a day of worship, eventually. And, uh, you know, to explain how it'd be a great benefit to the world's moral ills, this is what this Pope is doing as he goes around the world. And... He's bringing it up through the avenue of environment. The environment. Because you see, it'll go a long way this day, uh, family day, this day of worship, and helping the environment. If all trade across all the world upon this counterfeit Sunday Sabbath would cease. You know, by the way, just in case you've never read... Uh, about who the Jesuits are and what their goals and purposes are, I'd like to read a couple paragraphs from the book The Great Controversy. And you'll find this in pages 234, 235, around in that area um, of The Great Controversy. But listen to this, please. Throughout Christendom, Protestantism was menaced by formidable foes. The first triumphs of the Reformation passed Rome summoned new forces, hoping to accomplish its destruction. At this time, the Order of the Jesuits was created, and that would be um, in the year 1534, friends. So, she says, At this time, the Order of the Jesuits was created, the most cruel, unscrupulous, and powerful of all the champions of popery. Cut off from every earthly tie and human interest, dead to the claims of natural affection, reason, and conscience, wholly silenced, they knew no rule, no tie but that of their order, and no duty but to extend its power. There was no crime too great for them to commit. Now let these words sink in, friends. This is who our enemy is. There was no crime too great for them to commit, no deception too base for them to practice, no disguise too difficult for them to assume. Vowed to perpetual poverty and humility, it was their studied aim to secure wealth and power, to be devoted to the overthrow of Protestantism and the reestablishment of the papal supremacy. When appearing as members of their order, they wore a garb of sanctity, visiting prisons and hospitals, ministering to the sick and the poor, professing to have renounced the world and bearing the sacred name of Jesus, who went about doing good. But, under this blameless exterior, the most criminal and deadly purposes were concealed. It was a fundamental principle of the order that the end justifies the means. By this code, lying theft, perjury, assassination were not only pardonable but commendable when they served the interests of the church. And that would be the Roman Catholic Church, friends. Now, I want to bring that to your attention because this is the kind of man that addressed the United States Congress in September 2015. And, and have you noticed, have you been paying attention, have you noticed how humble he seems compared to, to uh, previous popes? You know, how he goes to the poor and the sick and ministers to them and comes across as one that, that hasn't been affected by the wealth and power of the papacy as other popes have been. You know, he lives in a humble apartment at the Vatican rather than that pope's palace that previous popes lived in. 
He stoops to wash the feet of the homeless and the sick. Have you noticed these things? Well, friends, that's because he's a Jesuit. And this is done on purpose to get the people behind him until it's time for the beast to strike. I want to remind you, beloved, in Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5, Jesus warned us. He said, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And I want you to contemplate this. I want to ask you, who are you listening to? Are you paying attention to the Savior and the signs of the time? Are you walking by faith forward to the kingdom? Or like Lot's wife, are you looking back to Sodom? I think about these things for myself. Do you remember reading about um, what the papacy has in store for Protestants that have forgotten what they're protesting about? Now, if you've read the book, The Great Controversy, that's where you'll find it. Let's go back to that book, page 581. Great Controversy, page 581. Notice this. God's word is given warning of the impending danger. Let this be unheeded, and the Protestant world will learn what the purposes of Rome really are only when it is too late to escape the snare. She is silently growing into power. Her doctrines are exerting their influence in the legislative halls, in the churches. And friends, that includes many... Adventist churches. Don't be fooled. Um, She says, And in the hearts of men, she is piling up her lofty and massive structures in the secret recesses of which her former persecutions will be repeated. Stealthily and unsuspectedly, she is strengthening her forces to further her own ends when the time shall come for her to strike. All that she desires is vantage ground, and this is already being given her. We shall soon see and shall feel what the purpose of the Roman element is. Whoever shall believe and obey the word of God will thereby incur reproach and persecution. And this persecution, friends, this is going to be severe. And if we've not prepared for it ahead of time, I'm going to tell you, we will be overcome. We will cave in to the demands of the beast and his image, and we will lose our souls. And I believe, from everything I've studied, before human probation closes, there will be those that have to make, um, you know, they'll make the supreme sacrifice in order to remain faithful. But you know, God's going to see us through. He's going to see us through just as he did to others. You see it all throughout history. God saw them through, and He will see us through. Uh, Let me share this with you, too. This is from the book, Selected Messages, Volume 3, page 397. That's Selected Messages, Volume 3, page 397. She says, the two armies... Now, this is in the, the context of uh, Sabbath keepers and Sunday keepers. Okay, we talk about the two armies here. She says the two armies will stand distinct and separate, and this distinction will be so marked that many who shall be convinced of the truth will come on the side of God's commandment keeping people. When this grand work is to take place in the battle, prior to the last closing conflict, many will be imprisoned, many will flee for their lives from cities and towns and many will be martyrs for Christ's sake in standing in defense of the truth. You will not be tempted. Now this is very encouraging. You will not be tempted above what you are able to bear. Jesus bore all this and far more. And so friends, I share these things with you, and and in light of this um, unprecedented event concerning this Jesuit, Uh, that addressed the the U.S. Congress, I think it's a good idea. It'd be a good idea for us to review Um, some things that Inspiration says um, that will be the order of events regarding this coming worship law, this coming Sunday law, and and how we are to react 
to these events as they unfold. I mean, after all, didn't Christ warn his disciples what was going to happen to them and and how they were to meet it? Yes, absolutely. And so, friends, I think that we are, considering that we are, our present truth is the last messages from God to earth before Jesus returns, that we are in the last time for preparation. And we want to be prepared. And we want to help to prepare others uh, before uh, it's too late. Uh, we don't wish to be deceived. Uh, and we don't wish in anyone else to be deceived. And so we do have a work to do. A work of preparation. You know, Jesus knew what the, you know, the, the disciples were going to go through. He knew what their sufferings would be. What trials and, and hardships they were going to have to go through. And he didn't hide it from them. And he doesn't hide it from us either. In John fourteen twenty nine, Jesus said, And now I've told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. You see, their faith was to be strengthened rather than weakened by the coming of trials and, and they would say to one another he, you know, he told us this was going to come and what we must do to meet it and so they'd be encouraged see they'd be strengthened their faith would increase and he's done the same for us friends God has warned us of the coming Sunday law crisis that we might be strengthened by the trials uh, we'll have to meet and by the way, this will not be unlike what happened in the late... If you know your Advent history, um, in the history of the United States, this, this is not going to be unlike what happened in the late 1880s, early 1890s, when a, a Sunday law was being urged. That was called the Blair Amendment. And uh, back then, the Blair Amendment was defeated. But I'll tell you, um, the next time a Sunday law will come to pass, if it gets that far, and, and we've been told that it will, and I think many of us who are alive today are going to see it happen. I believe that. And I also believe, <laughs> sad to say, friends, I also believe that many Seventh-day Adventists will be shocked to see it. They surely will. The Sabbath Sunday issue is the great testing truth for these last days. And it's going to divide all the people in the world into two classes. Those who obey and keep the commandments unto eternal life and those who uh, reject His commandments unto uh, eternal damnation. And it'll be each individual's attitude toward the fourth commandment in particular that'll determine their, their destiny, their eternal destiny. And so this is very, very important. Very important to, to be prepared. Very important to look at this. Sometimes we like to... We know bad news is coming and we don't want to hear it, you know. Um, but we need to face this. You know, somebody might say, oh, but Pastor Joel, all we need is Jesus in the heart to be saved. You know, to have a relationship with Him is what really counts. And I'd agree with that. However, if one truly has um, Jesus in their heart, and they truly have that close relationship with Him that's necessary to have eternal life. You know something? The fruit of their life is what's going to determine if that heart relationship is real or if it's spurious. That's what Jesus teaches. People can say they're Christians and that they have a saving relationship with Jesus. Have you ever heard that before? I get that quite a lot. Especially when you talk about you know, what sin is. And in the coming weeks ahead, we're going to get delve into uh, what sin is. Uh, the root of it, what it is, uh, what temptation is, uh, how to overcome. Um, those are important topics to understand, and we'll get into those. But uh, when, when I bring this up many times, it's, oh, well, all you need is a relationship with Jesus. Um, and so people can say, you know, well, I'm a Christian, and, and, and I have a saving relationship with Jesus, but the way they live will either confirm or deny it. Isn't that true? There's a big difference between a professed Christian and a true Christian. There's, there's a, a big difference between uh, a professed church and the true church. Isn't that right? Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said to us, verse 16, He said, Ye shall know them 
by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And then he says it again, Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. And we know John fourteen fifteen. It says, If you love me, keep my commandments. This is what Jesus said. And so, do you love him, friends? <laughs> if so, you'll willingly be a commandment keeper. So, if we're producing the works of the flesh and violating even one of the commandments knowingly, then, friends, it's only lip service. And if it's only lip service, we're in an unsaved condition, and we'd better get it figured out before it's too late. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 13, he says, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And that means that if you don't die to those sinful habits, you shall die. And that's not the death that that all men die, but he's talking about eternal death, the second death, that lake of fire death. And so, we must produce the fruit of the Spirit rather than the works of the flesh. And let me tell you, the Spirit never does anything contrary to the Word which He inspired. That's plain and simple, friends. I don't know how many times I've talked to people about the Sabbath and the keeping of the commandments, and they say, well, the Holy Spirit needs to convict me of that. I'm not sure about that. The Holy Spirit, you know, I rely on the Holy Spirit more than God's Word to direct me. Well, who inspired God's Word? He's not going to contradict himself, is he? I mean, if you think you can be saved and filled with the Spirit while living contrary to the Word that the Spirit inspired holy men of old to write... Well, friends, you're sadly mistaken. And many people who believe this are going to be disappointed when they wake up in the wrong resurrection. And friends, beloved, please don't let it be you, okay? Matthew seven twenty one. Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. There's a condition there, isn't there? Well, let's get back a little bit more into to our topic here. I mean, no doubt you've heard about climate change and global warming. Uh, unless you've been living in a cave, I'm pretty sure you've heard about it. And, uh, and how this is being pushed by uh, President Obama's administration, and most recently, the Pope, the papacy. And as you've heard these things, have you ever wondered why? Have you ever wondered what's behind all this talk? Is it really something that uh, uh, God's people should be concerned about? Well, dear friends, let me tell you something. And this might be a newsflash for you. And uh, I'm going to back this up. (laughs) But this is all a smoke screen. This is all a tool. This is a tool to bring about the mark of the beast. This is a tool to bring Sunday sacredness to the front. This is all a sham and something to be used to accomplish the goals of the beast and to be put in place by his image. And Satan is the one that's behind it all. So, let's put the blame right where it belongs, okay? Just like the theory of evolution. There's no sound evidence that there's any such thing as man-made global warming. And I'm not getting into the politics of it. I'm talking from the spiritual standpoint. Those so-called climate change experts, they've been caught in all kinds of lies, they've distorted data to make it look like their claims are true. But in reality, it's the devil who's behind the changes we see happening in the weather, not man. And no attempts by man to reduce his, quote, carbon footprint, end quote, are going to reverse what we see happening today, friends. 
Now, that doesn't mean that man has no responsibility to protect the environment. But his best efforts to do so is not going to change things, at least not significantly. Uh, because Satan has a plan, you see. He has a plan for this earth and its inhabitants that will not be turned aside. And God allows it, you see. And the reason God allows it is because the majority on this earth are forsaking His law. They are forsaking God. Now, let me read this to you. Let's go back to the great controversy. You'll find this on uh, pages 589 through to 591. I'm going to share some of this with you. Now to back up what I'm saying here. She says, Satan works through the elements to garner his harvest of unprepared souls. He has studied the secrets of the laboratories of nature, and he uses all his power to control the elements as far as God allows. See that? He uses all his power to control the elements. While appearing to the children of men as a great physician who can heal all their maladies, he will bring disease and disaster until populous cities are reduced to ruin and desolation. Even now he's at work. In accidents and calamities by sea and by land, in great conflagrations, that word conflagration, that, that means large fires. And don't we see a lot of that happening, especially in the West, uh, this past summer and such. There are fires everywhere. Uh, so she says, in great conflagrations, in fierce tornadoes, in terrific hailstorms, in tempests, floods, cyclones, tidal waves, and earthquakes, in every place and in a thousand forms, Satan, who is that? Who would she say? She said, Satan, not man, Satan is exercising his power. He sweeps away the ripening harvest, and famine and distress follow. He imparts to the air a deadly taint, and thousands perish by the pestilence. You know, I have friends who are into this, uh, uh, what's that called, in the sky? Chemtrails. Chemtrails. They're really up on the chemtrails. What did the prophet of the Lord just say? He imparts to the air a deadly taint, and thousands perish by the pestilence. These visitations are to become more and more frequent and disastrous. Destruction will be upon both man and beast. You're starting to get the picture here, friends? She goes on, she says, And then the great deceiver will persuade men that those who serve God are causing these evils. The class that have provoked the displeasure of heaven will charge all their troubles upon those whose obedience to God's commandments is a perpetual reproof to transgressors. It will be declared that men are offending God by the violation of the Sunday Sabbath, that this sin has brought calamities which will not cease until Sunday observance shall be strictly enforced, and that those who present the claims of the fourth commandment, thus destroying reverence for Sunday, are troublers of the people, preventing their restoration to divine favor and temporal prosperity. As the wrath of the people shall be excited by false charges, they will pursue a course toward God's ambassadors very similar to that which apostate Israel pursued toward Elijah. You remember that? You remember how they went after Elijah? You remember how Ahab accused Elijah of being the troubler of Israel? There's something else about that. You remember how Elijah put the blame exactly where it belonged? In 1 Kings chapter 18, this is where you find it. Uh, if you look at uh, verse 17, it says, And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And so we're going to see this same thing happening between Sabbath keepers and Sunday keepers, aren't we? Verse 18, And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. And friends, isn't that the way it is in these last days? These days that we're living in? 
It's the same thing, isn't it? We're living in a culture where the truth is what each person says it is. Isn't that true? That the and it's very frustrating, isn't it? To those who love the truth. We're living in a culture where the accusation has more merit than the truth. It used to be that, you know, you were innocent in this country till proven guilty, but it's been flipped on its head, hasn't it? Remember what we read about the Jesuits? The ends justifies the means. That's the way the Jesuits and the and Romanism acts. You're guilty and you have to prove your innocence. The ends justifies the means. You know, the accusation has more merit than the truth. Professed Christians have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. Because remember, if you break one commandment, what does James say? He says you're guilty of all. And just like we read there in 1 Kings, they've gone to following Balaam, the sun god, by worshiping on his day instead of the Lord's actual day. And if you want to know which day is the Lord's day, I mean, (laughs) read Matthew 12, read Mark chapter 2, Luke 6, you'll find it there. And by the way, when John the Revelator said in Revelation 1 verse 10 that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, he wasn't talking about Sunday. The Lord didn't change his special day of worship. Man did, and man will have to answer for it someday soon. And that's going to happen. And uh, this is a time for us to be prepared. We want to be on the right side of the question, don't we? The quote from the Great Controversy goes on, uh, page 591. Let me go back to. The great controversy. And notice um, what other agencies involved in the Sunday deception. And we brought this up in our prophecy studies uh, there in Attica. She goes on, she says, The miracle working power manifested through spiritualism. Through what was that? It's through spiritualism, she says. The miracle working power manifested through spiritualism will exert its influence against those who choose to obey God rather than men. Communications from the spirits will declare that God has sent them to convince the rejectors of Sunday of their error, affirming that the laws of the land should be obeyed as the law of God. Isn't that incredible? And no doubt, friends... When I read that, what popped into my mind was Romans 13. And I have no doubt they'll quote Romans 13 as their authority for doing this. And so I'd encourage you, you better study up on the meaning of Romans 13 so you'll know how to give an answer to anyone that should come with that argument. She goes on. She says, They will lament the great wickedness in the world and second the testimony of religious teachers that The degraded state of morals is caused by the desecration of Sunday. Great will be the indignation excited against all who refuse to accept their testimony. Friends, I tell you, there's there's only two spirits in this world, and you've heard me say this before. There's the spirit of Christ and there's the spirit of Antichrist. And when you, you see things that are happening in the news and you see these organizations, these people getting organized to have this mob mentality this is exactly what they're wanting. If you don't give in uh, to what they're saying, if you refuse to accept their testimony as the prophet says here great will be the indignation excited against you. And don't you see it happening today? This spirit is it any wonder that Satan will use spiritualism to help promote his counterfeit day? Since nearly all Christians believe that when you die, you don't really die, but exist in some other form or dimension. You know, my as I mentioned earlier, my uncle died um, Thursday evening. And I have relatives who are saying, well, he's, he's in heaven now and he's looking down upon us. As if he's, he's alive. But the Bible doesn't teach that. That isn't what happens. He's asleep in the grave. 
But most Christians, I think nearly all Christians, believe that when you die, you don't really die, but you exist in some other form, or you've moved on to some other dimension. And, and if that were true, then why couldn't the dead communicate with the living, right? And then you think about this spiritualism. What about all the TV programs, the movies, you know, all these, these media outlets that deal with the supernatural? It's really increased in the last five years. You see, these things are all in place for the purpose of deceiving Christians and non-Christians alike to reverence a day of the devil's choosing and he will thereby receive the worship you see of those that should be worshiping the creator in the day he blessed and sanctified on the seventh day of, of creation week let me ask you have you really thought about this have you thought this through what do you think most people are going to do when their dead loved one appears to them and tells them that God would have them reverence the first day of the week. Not knowing that their dead loved one's still dead, and it's really the demons that's impersonating them. What do you think most people are going to do? And what do you think they'll do when Satan himself comes and he impersonates Christ and he seconds their motion? What do you think they're going to do? Well, they're going to do exactly as they're told. Unless they know the Bible truth about these things. So, here we have the threefold union. The Bible talks about, we have this threefold union of Catholicism, apostate Protestantism, and spiritualism that are at work in these last days to make the law of God an effect. And what's happening in the environment is going to be the key to their argument. See? So, So now that excuse me. So now that we have the bigger picture of how the the Sunday law crisis is to develop and the ones involved in bringing it about, let's take a closer look at, at some of the details, okay? I want to share this with you it's from the book Maranatha, fantastic book, devotional book. Uh, if you don't have it, I encourage you to get it. Maranatha, page 179. She says, a time is coming when the law of God is, in a special sense, to be made void in our land. That's She's talking about the United States. The rulers of our nation will, by legislative enactments, enforce the Sunday law, and thus God's people will be brought into great peril. When our nation, in its legislative councils, shall enact laws to bind the consciences of men, in regard to their religious privileges, enforcing Sunday observance, and bringing oppressive power to bear against those who keep the seventh-day Sabbath, the law of God will, to all intents and purposes, be made void in our land. Now I want you to notice, don't be confused here, I want you to notice that this has not happened yet. And until it does... The law of God has not yet been made void in America. But it is being set up, isn't it? I'll tell you, Christians have never been so attacked in this country as they are today. And it's getting worse. You know, Christians who own a bakery are forced to, the, by the state to bake a wedding cake for a homosexual wedding or face a fine and lose their business. Uh, same for a Christian photography business with taking wedding pictures. You see more and more and more this outrage against Christianity, against Christians. The battle lines are being drawn before our eyes, my friends, and these things are going to lead to the Sunday observance law. Now, in the next uh, few statements I'll be reading and sharing with you are in the context of when the law of God is made void. And so, um, we want to be careful not to apply these uh, statements to the present time. And there are some good reasons for this, as we'll see in a minute, okay? Uh, but this is in the context of when God's law has been made void in this country. We'll go back to 
Maranatha. I'm going to be reading a few things from Maranatha. Page 177. The time will come when men will not only forbid Sunday work, but they will try to force men to labor on the Sabbath and to subscribe to Sunday observance or forfeit their freedom and their lives. But the time for this has not yet come, for the truth must be presented more fully before the people as a witness. Okay? So from this statement, we can understand that laws will be enforced forbidding work on Sunday first. And then when that doesn't convince Sabbath keepers to go along, right, with the devil's program, then force will be used to try to make them work during the sacred hours of the Holy Sabbath of the Lord. And if they don't, you know, if they don't work on the, the true Sabbath, then what's going to happen? Well, then there will be the death decree. See, death is the, the result. The other thing we see here is that we have a work to do to present the truth. So people have the opportunity to make a, an intelligent decision about these issues. And until that work is done, the last movements aren't going to come about, friends, because God wants to save everyone who can be saved. So, what are we to be doing, right? Well, we need to be uh, waiting on the Lord, watching, working, uh, praying, warning the world. And in doing that, we hasten the day of the Lord, don't we? And when this is done, then we'll see things begin to happen pretty rapidly. Really, let's go back to uh, to Mar- Maranatha. We'll continue on here. She says, page one seventy-seven. She says, refraining, and this is important, friends. It's important to understand because I see a lot of people, a lot of Adventists, confused about this, and the confusion is brought on by things that uh, uh, the ignorant are doing within Adventism, and, and the devil's behind it all. Um, and so let's straighten this out here. She says, Maranatha, page 177, Refraining from work on Sunday is not receiving the mark of the beast. And where this will advance the interests of the work, it should be done. What should be done? What's she talking about? Stop doing your your regular work on Sunday. Remember the context. This is when the law of God has been made void in the land. That hasn't happened yet. So, she says, stop doing your regular work on Sunday. She says, going along with the law to not work on Sunday is not going to give you the mark of the beast. This is what she's saying. She goes on. She says, we should not go out of our way to work on Sunday. On Sunday, there is the very best opportunity for those who are missionaries to hold Sunday schools and come to the people in the simplest manner possible, telling them of the love of Jesus for sinners and educating them in the Scriptures. And so you see, we'll be working on Sunday, but it'll be working for souls as missionaries and not our everyday secular work, right? Now I want you to notice something here. It's perfectly alright to have some kind of religious service on Sunday when we get to the point when we are forbidden to work on Sunday. But friends, to do it before that time, as I see many Seventh-day Adventist churches are now doing, that's not all right. Because you see, it's playing into the hands of the beast and his image. Don't misunderstand me. Sunday meetings at this time are fine if they're in the course of, let's say, an evangelistic series. But to hold regular services on both Sunday and Sabbath before the time when work is forbidden on Sunday will and is causing confusion about which day is sacred. And this is how Sunday sacredness, if you know your history, this is how Sunday sacredness gained a foothold to begin with. You know, this church in, I'm thinking it's in Nevada, there's been several, um, but they started having worship services on Sunday. It's an Adventist church. So they had services on Saturday and Sunday, you know, and, and and the excuse was, well, this is an evangelistic effort, but they were having worship services. See? Now, that church, that particular church, isn't even an Adventist church at all. It turned into a, a, 
Sunday keeping mega church. They're not even Adventists at all. You see, it's not time to do this. It's not time to do this yet. Let's go to the next page of Maranatha, page 178. She says, To defy the Sunday laws will but strengthen in their persecution the religious zealots who are seeking to enforce them. Give them no occasion to call you lawbreakers. If they are left to rein up men who fear neither God nor man, the reining up will soon lose its novelty for them, and they'll see that it is not consistent nor convenient for them to be strict in regard to the observance of Sunday. Keep right on with your missionary work, with your Bibles in your hands, and the enemy will see that he has worsted his own cause. One does not receive the mark of the beast because he shows that he realizes the wisdom of keeping the peace by refraining from work that gives offense, doing at the same time a work of the highest importance. When we devote Sunday to missionary work, the whip will be taken out of the hands of the arbitrary zealots. Now remember what the context is. This is when the law of God has been made void in the land. Okay? A Sunday law. And this is exactly the reason lawmakers will decide not only to make a law to refrain from work on Sunday, but also try to force Sabbath keepers to work on the Sabbath. You see, if they can't get you one way, they'll try another, right? And finally, when every inducement fails to bring people into compliance with a man-made law that causes people to violate God's law, then we know in Revelation 13 there will be a death decree that's going to follow. Because you won't be able to force God's people to sin and to break His commandments. And so when every effort has failed to cause God's people to violate their Bible educated conscience they'll come to the conclusion that killing us will be the only way to get rid of our influence and to regain the blessing of God upon a country that's being devastated you see by terrible judgments we read about that Satan's behind all this that'll be the thinking of the leading men of this nation and some some before human probation closes some faithful souls will be martyred Maranatha continues, she says, Sunday can be used for carrying forward various lines of work that will accomplish much for the Lord. On this day, open-air meetings and cottage meetings can be held. House-to-house work can be done. Those who write can devote this day to writing their articles. Whenever it's possible, let religious services be held on Sunday. Make these meetings intensely interesting Sing genuine revival hymns and speak with power and assurance of the Savior's love. Speak on temperance and on true religious experience. You will thus learn much about how to work and will reach many souls. The law for the observance of the first day of the week is the production of an apostate Christendom. Sunday is a child of the papacy, exalted by the Christian world above the sacred day of God's rest. In no case are God's people to pay it homage, but I wish them to understand that they are not doing God's will by braving opposition when He wishes them to avoid it. Remember what the context is, friends. And so, what we get out of these statements is that we should not antagonize Sunday keepers by being in their face uh, uh, in purposely doing secular work but do the kind of work that will enlighten people about the truths of God's Word. Now that doesn't mean we're, we're to hide our light under a bushel. But we need to be, as Jesus said, we need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. The time will come soon enough when we'll have the opportunity to stand in bold defense of the truth when the Sunday ball really gets rolling. But until then, we must be careful not to needlessly give offense when the Sunday law does come. I hope you understand that. Because there's some confusion in Adventism about this. Now, let's talk for a minute about where God would have us to live and work for Him um, during the time when we see the Sabbath Sunday issue coming to a head. Because there's confusion about this as well. Now, we've known for a long time 
that God would have us live in country settings where we can be free from evil influences. Isn't that right? You know, to be able to to grow our own food, to be more self-sustaining, right? We've known this for a long time. I, you know, there isn't a Seventh-day Adventist alive today that shouldn't know this because we're told well over a hundred years ago to get out of the cities. And by the way, today, uh, a person can live in a very remote area and still bring evil influences into their home, can't they? You know, by using the internet or they can get a satellite dish or... I mean, I think of Lot. You go back. Lot lived in the country, but he pitched his tents towards Sodom and not away from it. Think about that for a while. And so we may have to work in the city, but we shouldn't live there. We should have a sanctuary, you see, to come home to. And at the very least, where we can be free from the hustle and the bustle and the sights and the the sounds of, you know, Babylon in the city, right? And I'd say that if you don't have such a place, you should be working toward that while you still have time to do so. And when I say this, I'm aware that there are some who either don't have the means or, or they, they may have health issues that would prevent them from, you know, doing this, the following, uh, you know, inspired counsel uh, in regards to this. Um, and, and these people will have to make the best of their situation uh, where they are until such a time uh, when they may have to join those who've been able to prepare ahead of time. Um, but if we can, we should make an effort now without you know, any kind of delay. We need to be looking into these things. We need to be stepping out in faith. Um, I think you, you know, we need to start looking at the inventory of what you have. What can you get rid of? Get rid of it now. Sell these things. Put it into God's work. Put it into your preparation to get away from the cities and find a place in the country. Um, I'm not talking about becoming a hermit. Friends, it's not time for that. And so, well, let me read you a few statements that will back up what I'm saying to you. This is also in the book Maranatha, page 180. She says, Ere long there will be such strife and confusion in the cities that those who wish to leave them will not be able. In other words, if we drag our feet now, there's a good chance that we could very well be among those that get stuck in the cities with no way out when trouble begins uh, to escalate You know, regarding the Sunday observance. Uh, she says, Ere long there will be such strife and confusion in the cities that those who wish to leave them will not be able. We are not to locate ourselves where we will be forced into close relations with those who do not honor God. A crisis is soon to come in regard to the observance of Sunday. Uh, you skip a few pages to one, page 183. The time is coming when we cannot sell at any price. The decree will soon go forth prohibiting men to buy or sell of any man save him that hath the mark of the beast. Now, we don't yet know exactly how this will come about, uh, but it's not far-fetched, is it? Um, In this electronic age, when things are heading toward a cashless society, I don't think it's hard to imagine how Sabbath keepers will be denied access to whatever funds they may have unless they go along with what the government tells them to do. Next page, Maranatha, page 184. As did Enoch. We must work in the cities, but not dwell in them. What are we supposed to do? Work in the cities, but not dwell in them. The cities are to be worked from outposts. Said the messenger of God, Shall not the cities be warned? Yes, not by God's people living in them, but by their visiting them, to warn them of what is coming upon the earth. Now, I know there are those who um, who advocate getting way out in the boonies in order to get away from evil associations and to get close to God in, in preparation for the time of trouble. But friends, let's not get the cart before the horse. We want to be careful not to run ahead of God. We do have a work to do. And we can't do it if we are more concerned 
about saving our own skin than we are about helping to save souls that are perishing for one of the truth. God says He'll save us. It doesn't matter where we may be on this earth. He will save us. Do you believe that? But we have a work to do. Let's look at Steps to Christ, page 101. I want you to see the, you know, what, the, the overall principle here that she's talking about. She says, God does not mean that any of us should become hermits or monks and retire from the world in order to devote ourselves to acts of worship. The life must be like Christ's life, between the mountain and the multitude. He who does nothing but pray will soon cease to pray, or his prayers will become a formal routine. When men take themselves out of social life, away from the sphere of Christian duty and cross-bearing, when they cease to work earnestly for the Master, who worked earnestly for them, they lose the subject matter of prayer and have no incentive to devotion. Their prayers become personal and selfish. There's a time coming when we'll have to dwell in secluded places, friends. But that time hasn't come yet. How can we warn the world if we've left society before it's time to do so? You know, I remember back in, uh, I met I met a number of wonderful people back in 2000. We, we came down, uh, I was in a ministry with a, a pastor, and we came down to the trial between the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists and Pastor Rafael Perez. We were doing a video uh, of that. I met some people. Um, went to a workers' meeting in uh, Washington at uh, what was then Hope International out there. Met some good people. Uh, there was one particular person. Uh, wasn't, you know, a year later. Um, he convinced a small group of people it was time to head to the mountains. And they sold everything and they left. Nobody's heard from them since. I don't know what's happened to them. It's not time yet, friends. It's just not time. Let's go back to the book Maranatha, page 180. She says, The time is not far distant when, like the early disciples, we shall be forced to seek a refuge in desolate and solitary places. As the siege of Jerusalem by the Roman armies was the signal for flight to the Judean Christians, so the assumption of power on the part of our nation, again, that's the United States she's talking about, in the decree, in what? The decree, has that happened yet? Hasn't happened yet. In the decree enforcing the papal Sabbath will be a warning to us. It will then be time to leave the large cities preparatory to leaving the smaller ones for retired homes in secluded places among the mountains. I mean, just think about it from tan- the tangible side. It's, it's going to take too much time to try to sell a home in the city and prepare to move and find a place in the country when the Sunday laws, you know, in effect. You won't be able to buy or sell. And I... I think what Sister White meant was that we might be able to live in a country setting within city limits. We live in, in Indiana, we live in the, essentially you could say the country, but we are within the, the city limits of West Lafayette. Um, or you can live just on the outskirts of city limits. But we're not to live within the heart of any city, regardless of its size. And that's been true for over 100 years, friends. At least, you know, that's the way I understand it. Um... It just doesn't make sense. Well, we could go on and on by quoting statement after statement after statement uh, in relation to our preparation for, you know, the coming Sunday law crisis. Um, Because there are hundreds of them, friends, there are hundreds of them. I've just picked out a few in order to get us to think about how we're going to deal with these things when they happen. And again, the time's not far distant when we will have to know what to do and how to do it before they break upon the world. It's going to be an overwhelming surprise to many. There's no reason that these things should catch us off guard as a midnight thief breaking into our homes because we've been warned ahead of time, just as Jesus warned his disciples about the troubles they'd have to meet. Remember, God never does anything major 
you know, with his people and in his movement without giving his people a heads up. That's why Amos 3, 7 says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. In other words, whenever God decides to do something, he will first tell his prophets. And if we read what the prophets have written, we will also know what to do before it happens. And before we close, there's one more thing I'd like to say, and it's probably the most important point of all, and always is. All this information that I've shared uh, with you won't do you a bit of good unless you've been born again. It won't. Unless you've been converted and died to self every day. All the knowledge about the coming Sunday Law crisis isn't going to benefit you one iota unless your character reflects the character of Jesus. I mean, you may even be stubborn enough to refuse to go along with the Sunday Law and be a martyr, but you will still come up in the wrong resurrection if you don't have the heart preparation that will be necessary at that time, friends. There have been many people in the past that have had the conviction to die for their religious cause. Right? We see it in the news every day. Suicide bombers, they're dying for their religious cause. But that alone is not going to grant them entrance into the kingdom of God. You can do everything right, you know, outwardly, but if the heart isn't changed, Jesus, you know what he's going to say? He's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You see, the stony heart that, that we have has to be replaced with a heart of flesh or we'll never meet Jesus in peace when He comes. So there may be some listening to me that have committed terrible sins. And you may be living in sin right now. But I want to tell you something. You can be forgiven. And you can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a life of victory over sin if you'll come to Jesus just as you are. He'll change you. You come to Jesus in repentance. And you confess your sins. The Lord has promised to pardon and cleanse you, even if all you have, friends, is the faith of a mustard seed and a willingness to do what He tells you to do. You know, there may be others who, who hear me who've lost their first love. You can remember when Jesus was very precious to you and you, and uh, you were extremely happy in your Christian walk. But something happened along the way to rob you of, of that experience. And I want to tell you that you can get it back if you really want it. And I know what I'm talking about because I've had that experience myself. And it usually, and usually it happens when we neglect our study and we ne- neglect prayer time. And we neglect helping others to know the truth. But as a Christian, if you're feeling like there's something missing in your life, you know, examine yourself to see if your devotional life is suffering because you've been focusing on the cares of this life, you know, and you've uh, neglected that quality time spent with, with Jesus and His Word. There's no substitute, friends, for studying, for prayer, and, and for obedience. There just isn't. It reminds me of the the old hymn. I think it's hymn number 590. And it's true. We must trust and obey, right? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And that trust will come as we spend time with our Savior and do what He's asked us to do. It's just plain and simple. And friends, this present life is all about the redemption of our souls. Do you believe that? God wants you and I in His kingdom. He wants you and I to experience the joys of the earth made new where there will be no more curse. And you can have it. You can have it if you choose to cooperate with God in your own salvation. You know, friends, He's not going to wave a magic wand over you and change you into His image without some effort on your part. You have to work with God to form your character. That's what the Bible says is that sanctification process. And we can be more than conquerors through Him who loved us enough to take our place on the cross of Calvary. 
And why would we forfeit that in order to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season? In order to suffer the fires of the judgment and and sleep the sleep of death, that death that no one will awaken from. Why would we exchange eternal life for eternal death? Makes no sense. But you know that's what the devil offers. And he has convinced the majority of all people through the ages somehow that his plan is better than the one who sacrificed his life for us. It's incredible. So friends, as the great controversy heats up and the counterfeit Sabbath is urged upon us, may we really know Jesus and not just know about Him. That way we will know what to do and how to do it in a way that will grant us entrance into God's everlasting kingdom and thereby glorify our Father which is in heaven. Keep looking up, friends. And I encourage you to work while it's still day. Make preparations. We're in a time of preparation. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we do again thank you so much for this holy Sabbath day. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to come together to worship thee in spirit and in truth, to study your holy word, to pray to you, to be blessed by you. You've chosen this day. You made this day specifically that we may rest and be a part of you and your family and gain a rest spiritual rest, as well as a physical rest. We thank you so much for the Sabbath. We pray that you'll give us of the Holy Spirit uh, to aid us in our walk. We pray that you will send angels to abide with us as we make preparations. Uh, may they protect us, keep us safe, and help us on our walk. We thank you so much for Jesus who made this all possible. And we ask this favor in His blessed name. Amen.